Welcome to the Love and Marriage Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that offer insights on dating and marriage. Be sure to also check out our newly released podcast entitled By Study and by Faith, showcasing BYU devotionals that blend reason and science with faith, university disciplines with discipleship, and the scholarly with the sacred. Visit speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more details. President Wilkinson, members of the faculty, students of the Brigham Young University, my brothers and sisters. I appreciate coming here, meeting with you, and, and talking with you on this very important subject. It is said that there are in the world two kinds of things, the things that matter and the other things. I feel that the principle of eternal marriage is one of the things that matter with us. I hope that you realize that there is in the world a force of evil just as real and just as certain, just as actual, as there is being directed a, a work of righteousness, and that between these two forces there is an eternal conflict constantly going on with the human soul as the price, with the human soul at stake. The scripture declare this to be so. And I read from the book of Revelations, coupled with a, a verse from the book of, Doc, of uh, the Pearl of Great Prize. There was war in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil, Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto the voice of God. as many as would not hearken unto the voice of God. Now, you've been told before that you were present when that great struggle and conflict went on, that you were there in that premortal world and took your place, and that you, because of your being valiant, was given this life to leave, live under these favorable and wonderful circumstances. Others who perhaps were less valiant are living on this same earth, which is created for them, but perhaps not under the same desirable circumstances. According to their determinations then to segregate the good from the bad and to live righteously and accept the proper and discard the improper. Well, 
there we made proper segregation. We were present when in that great council in heaven, we were told that, this, that another world was to be formed, to be organized, to be beautified with all kinds of animal life and plant life and insects to be placed upon it. The fruits of the field and all desirable things would be placed upon it. It would be made a fit abode for us to dwell upon. And then we were told, as you remember it being recorded, that we would be permitted to come down here under certain conditions. For they said something like this, we will go down, for there is space there, and we will take of these materials and organize them into a world upon which these may dwell. And we will prove them herewith. Prove them, test them, to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. And they who keep their first estate, which we kept, rather well, I think, shall be added upon. And that has been our blessing. We have been added upon. And they who keep their second estate, in which we now find ourselves, shall have glory added upon their heads forever and forever. Now that's the thing that awaits us. That's the attraction for those who desire to walk uprightly before the Lord. That's the reward for those who can do all things, all things whatsoever the Lord shall command them. And so I think the greatest achievement of man individually, the Lord has declared, is to qualify himself and his family for life and possibly exaltation in the celestial kingdom of heaven. The fact is that each one of us here may have that blessing if he is willing to observe the laws upon which it is predicated. Now we should remember as Latter-day Saints that the celestial kingdom is the family kingdom where are found the husbands and the wives and the children grandchildren and their children, where the families reside as such, and that outside of the celestial kingdom, where there will be found no family organization as such. We should remember that, the, that these privileges of associating as families eternally are reserved for those who are willing to abide in every covenant and every obligation which we are called upon to receive while we sojourn here upon the earth. I read from the Doctrine and Covenants to substantiate that. They who are not sanctified through the law which I have given you must inherit another kingdom even that of a terrestrial kingdom or that of a celestial kingdom. For he who is not able to abide the law of a celestial kingdom 
cannot abide a celestial glory. In other words, unless we, while we live here upon the earth and go to the Brigham Young University and conduct our lives afterwards, cannot live the laws that pertain to celestial life as they are given to us, we could not then be prepared to endure even, to abide a celestial glory. And so these commandments and laws and precepts and principles are given to us in order to shape us up that we may be able to endure and abide a celestial life. To think of it otherwise would be like thinking of going into the Brigham Young University without having completed one's high school training. He would be unprepared, unqualified. He would have to be sent back to obtain the prerequisites for entrance into college. So I think it will be in a comparable way when we approach the life hereafter. We shall be prepared because we have lived the laws, or we shall be unprepared because we have failed to live the laws upon which celestial life is based. Now we are told by the Lord that the ordinance of marriage is not performed in the heavens, in the hereafter, at least in the heavens hereafter. Therefore, if you would be united for eternity as husband and wife with your family, that sealing must be performed here upon this earth by the authority of the holy priesthood. <clears throat> 131st section of the Doctrine and Covenants enlightens us in this. In the celestial glory there are three heavens or degrees. In order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. If he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. Now, I don't say that we cannot get into the celestial kingdom unless we are sealed in the temples as husbands and wives, but to have the association as husbands and wives and families, that ordinance is indispensable. Now here, and again I say unto you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, and that's what we enter into when we kneel at the altars in the temple. And it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise. I'd like to emphasize that. If it is sealed unto them by the Holy Spirit of promise, by him who is anointed unto him whom I have appointed this power and the keys of this priesthood, it shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them. In time and throughout all eternity. And shall be of full force when they are out of this world. 
and they shall pass by the angels, the gods, which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things that hath been sealed upon their heads, which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of their seeds or of their families forever and ever. And Brigham Young, in his definition, says that that will be ours if we have kept the laws in spite of earth and hell and all power. So it's a quite a thing to receive the endowment in the holy temple and following that to be sealed by him who is anointed and appointed and authorized of God to be sealed as husband and wife with the promise of coming forth in the morning of the first resurrection with all these glorious privileges, opportunities, rights, freedom, and expectations and exaltation. Now the Lord has provided the way and the power and the means and the authority by which the husband and the wife may thus dwell eternally. After its absence from the earth for hundreds of years, the Lord revealed in this dispensation in which we live the eternity of the marriage covenant, and he has restored to earth the divine authority to consummate it. This revelation and this restoration makes out of marriage a holy relationship out of which and out of which only can come man's greatest glory and joy and exaltation. These blessings are forfeited in civil marriage. I'd like to bring to you the words of President J. Reuben Clark given before a great audience of young people a few years ago, ago upon this subject. They are so profound that I'd like you to hear them, even though you may have read them before. He said, you young people are trifling with your divine destiny. You are treating lightly a great commandment. You are casting aside as dross the greatest opportunity that comes into your life when you fail or refuse to be married in our temples where husband and wife may be sealed for time and for all eternity by the man bearing the holy priesthood of God. A civil marriage, and that is all that any marriage is that is performed outside the temple merely legalizes a marital relationship. It has none of the effects of sealing for time and eternity. You young people, if you think enough of one another to marry at all, you should love one another enough to wish to perpetuate your association forever. If you do not think enough of one another for that, you may well hesitate long before you decide to go forward in life otherwise. The situation is not changed by having your bishop or president of your stake or some ex-bishop friend or like person perform the ceremony for time. 
All these are civil marriages only. And yet, there are those who, when it comes to the most important event in their lives, in my opinion, there are those who ignore and pass by this heaven-sent blessing of temple marriage just in order to conform with the ways and the practices of the world. And perhaps in order to avoid a few restrictions and a few obligations that the Lord has placed upon those who would have the privilege of living eternally with their loved ones. When the Latter-day Saints accept the civil marriage ceremony, they, in effect, waive their rights to this divine destiny. They disregard the law and the plan for the eternal, never-ending happiness with their companions. Please give sober thought to this when you contemplate marriage. Do your own evaluating. No, do not be satisfied with listening to the opinions of the worldly. Draw your own conclusions and make your own decisions after you have sought, if necessary, proper counsel from those who are wise. I read the other day, though, about one father who was worried about his son who said that he isn't wise enough to take counsel from anybody else, and yet he's not smart enough to think it up for himself. Now you have this great faculty here of men and women who are proven in these principles. How grateful you ought to be that you can go to them and iron out your problems, and I know you have them. I know that when you see somebody who's fine and handsome and wholesome, otherwise, but yet not being a member of your church, you wonder why it isn't all right to enter into the marriage covenant with him. And yet in so doing, you are taking very great risks and perhaps may never be able to align him and you in a way that these blessings may be yours. Now, <clears throat> so much for the ordinances and their meaning and the blessings that are forthcoming from living them. Now, the temple is for the righteous and not for the unrighteous. And that would lead me to say that there should be a time of preparation while in our teens, in our twenties, our early twenties at least, for this great event in our lives. Men and women must have repented of their sins before entering these holy places if they expect the blessings. 
It is not a place to repent. The temple isn't a place for cleansing. It's a place for the clean and the wholesome. And it's inconceivable to me to think that the ordinances of these holy places can be efficacious and acceptable in the eyes of the Lord unless the participants are wholesome or worthy when they enter there. Ceremonies may be spoken, but in order to be acceptable before the Lord, they must be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise and accepted through the Holy Ghost. To come to the altar of marriage, my young brothers and sisters, in worthiness, and to be sealed there by the Holy Spirit of promise as husband and wife, and to plan for family organization and association here on earth, having in view this eternal concept of family unity and association is one of the most beautiful principles that is ever given and revealed from God our Father. How short-sighted, how vain, are those who, knowing that these blessings await them, how short-sighted they are if they pass them by, or while they are in the preparatory stage of life, fail to get ready. As a prelude to this great event, there must be a life of high standards of personal conduct. There must be a life of faith and obedience to the commandments. There must be a life of purity and of moral cleanliness, even cleanliness of thought. There must be a life of modesty, even, in our expressions, in our language, in our dress, in our appearance, and in our personal conduct. Indiscretions of this nature simply invite and allure those with whom you ought not associate. She who feels that she must be extreme and worldly in her fashions and in her dress and in her makeup generally and in her actions is inviting trouble. She's walking right in the opposite direction from which she ought to go. She's heading for disappointment and regret unless she exercises that great prerogative that is given to us in the principle of repentance. But we must not procrastinate that repentance until we cannot save these choice blessings that are given to us. Way back in the time of Paul, I suppose he met groups similar to this, not in such great and fabulous buildings as this, perhaps on the hillsides and in smaller 
places of meeting. But this is what Paul advised. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and, perf and perfect in the sight of God. That I recommend to you. Be not conformed to the practices of this world if they are in conflict with the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sister Christiansen and I, as has been said, had the great honor of presiding as president and matron in the Logan Temple for nearly nine years. There came to us there thousands of young people such as you to receive these blessings of which I have spoken. More than 4,000 couples knelt at the altar where I officiated. And it was not infrequent that within the hearts and bosoms of those who were there Tears of joy and gratitude flowed freely. At the thought of these young people having conducted their lives as they should in the midst of evil and enticements and temptations, to the degree that they could qualify to receive from their bishop and their stake president, I recommend as to their character and their moral integrity. The thought of it is almost overwhelming, and it's so beautiful to have them come thus and then go out into the world with the armor of God about them, ready to meet all circumstances, being of one flesh, being sealed by the power of the holy priesthood, and having it in full force when they are out of this world. What a great purpose that gave to those young people and to you who have been in this holy house. It's a joy to go out into the stakes and the missions now and meet them and have them come up after the meeting, usually now with two or three beautiful children, proud of them, tickling them a little under the chin so that they'll smile for the man, happy to see and display them, and filled with the most indescribable satisfaction and happiness. My brothers and sisters, settle not for less than that which you may have in the way of God's blessing. Keep yourselves clean in thought and in deed and in all attributes of your character and makeup. May he bless you and sustain you in your desire to do right and comfort you and strengthen you when you overcome wrong and evil. And may you at one time Enter into the house of the Lord with your companion there to be sealed for time and eternity and qualify as much as you can here upon earth for the greatest of all the blessings of God 
eternal life, and exaltation in the celestial kingdom of heaven, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the Love and Marriage Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity. By study and by faith, come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.